Hello, everyone. Welcome to Green Knight Episode 7. Thank you for your patience. Again, I would like to reiterate that despite the tone of my presentation at points being somewhat like a lecture, that's not my intent. To take a phrase from Crow, I too am working on getting out of my diapers. Uh, the reason why there is a longer time gap than I would like between episodes is, quite frankly, my uncertainty. Every time I drop one, I could go immediately to the next, but I hold off. I have this uh, feeling of despondence with, with what's going on these days. Uh, really a sense of an inability to create any kind of ripple in this Teflon groupthink that we have going on. I go back and forth, you know, that this makes any difference whatsoever. And my resistance is probably due to the fact that I think it makes no difference. I can see myself wanting to be, wanting it to be significant. And uh, if you have studied the Tao, the principle of Wu Wei, which can be translated as the principle of not forcing, my wanting to make a difference is my ego entering into this, which I have mentioned before. There is a translation of a portion, portion of a passage from Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, that goes like this. Superior virtue has no intention of being virtuous, and thus is virtue. Inferior virtue cannot let go of virtuo virtuosity, and thus is not virtue. This goes to the content of the podcast, which is to point out that human beings for a long time have attempted to take the reins and in that effort try to solve every problem. And each problem they solve, they create more problems. And it's a never-ending process. And I say they, I should say we, because I'm a part of it. And it's kind of what I've been doing is wanting to, you know, be virtuous. <laughs> so I'm doing exactly what I am accusing others of doing. So I need to point that out so that you don't think I'm all holier than thou with this content because I just want to get it out of my brain, y'all. So I'm going to share it regardless. And uh, I hope someone out there finds it valuable. Uh, I'm not attempting to solve a problem like a sim symptom and perhaps create more symptoms, but give the information that may allow individuals to see that our attempt at controlling nature and at controlling ourselves is a dead end. It is self-terminating, whether that means we go extinct or we simply arrest our development. If we can arrive at a place where we can operate within the laws of nature, otherwise known as natural law or universal law or cosmic law, then we will be open to a path of continued development. Having said that, I would like to clarify some of the things that I was talking about previously. Uh, a solution. The concept of a solution that I propose is not the ultimate and is really just a way to transition. That's what I'm talking about. How do we transition? We must swim in the waters that we find ourselves in 
And so we use what we have at our disposal, considering that I speak of certain technologies as being elemental in our ability to make this transition, specifically the internet and digital technology. The clarification I would like to make is that, as McLuhan says, there is a message that this technology is offering us, and it is that we are all connected. Despite it being, despite this technology being a kind of calculus, you know, digital, being a kind of calculus, uh, a square waveform, so to speak, as opposed to a continuous curve, it still is the jumpstart we need to get where we want to go. When I say square wave, I mean that it is what digital really is relative to analog. It is a stepped approximation as opposed to a smooth curve. So again, the internet and digital technology is a bridge we can use, and the message of it is sound. It's not perfect. It's intended. It's not intended to be our ultimate savior but just a tool we can use to begin our transition to a higher state. And this goes for all of the tools that come from Silicon Valley that come, well, why did I say that? I wrote Silicon Technology, not Valley. Fuck those guys. But anyway, that come from the transistor. All of the tools we can use all of these tools we can use in a way that is positive and inclusive. In that fashion, we can allow everyone to contribute so that we can develop technology that is more in line with natural, with a natural and harmonious existence. I hope that makes sense. So obviously this goes for cryptocurrency as well. It is based on computer technology and it would be unavailable without it. Money though, is basically a measurement tool that measures energy and resources. Perhaps a true harmonious existence and interaction with each other ultimately does not require money, this unit of measurement, but as I said, we swim in the waters we find ourselves in. I mean, I know it's important that we be able to combine our resources in order to use current technology to advance ourselves, all of us. It was Alan Watts who said that money is like inches, and we never run out of inches. We can't run out of inches because it's just a unit of measurement. The system I propose, the concept of the system. Because, again, how it will take form, no one can say. I can't say. But we can put a basic foundation in place that is based on balance, that can write itself, be auto-poetic and become something magnificent. When I say money is a unit of measurement, we have to understand, of course, that it is measuring something, and so there can't, it can't be arbitrary. Um, it'd be a unit that has nothing to measure, which is pretty much what hedge funders do. You know, what value are they fucking creating? That's just a side point. The unit of currency has to be backed by value. In the past, we'd use metal as a value backing for currency, but what I propose is that the value is us, is all of us, all of our specialities, all of our abilities, all of the products that we create. I think you can begin to understand that as a tool, 
we can use cryptocurrency to approach something better because it is decentralized and uh, unobservable by a central authority. However, it requires that we comprehend the nature of what it means to be human, that we can only survive with each other and not fractured and atomized. The exchange of value between us is what connects us. I think I explained this last time, but I want to get into it more because this is what we all have in common. This is the thing that perhaps we can all come together around. This exchange between us is the result of our creativity as humans, and the exchange is required for our survival individually and as a group. I'm going to get deep into this more in this episode, but uh, because it's really important that we comprehend that for us to come together and not be in competition with one another, that we understand this idea of exchange as elemental to what it means to be human. So real quick, uh, intuitively and intellectually, it should be comprehensible. Because look, we all aren't hunters or farmers. We are all specialists, and we need each other to fill the gaps in our skill sets. Uh, I'm going to go into in depth this exchange as kind of a thought experiment, which I mentioned last time but didn't get into, this cognition of how the stuff that we make is so vitally important. So more clarification on what I was speaking of in the previous episodes. When I spoke of the Higgs boson and the Higgs field, as those of you have listened from the beginning, I have a background in science and a degree in physics. So there is a tendency for me to kind of orbit around the elements of the cosmology that is the standard model mainstream interpretation. There are things in there that approach the truth, but there is also a lot of stuff that, uh, not really, you know, um, but you can't just throw it all out. There's some stuff that does approach the truth. I did not mention that I happen to think that particle physicists, though being some of the, quote, smartest people on Earth, are also rocking the most opaque blinders of any of us. Those of you who have spent any time with me probably have heard my soliloquy on how particle physicists are fucking idiots. I happen to think this despite them finding the so-called Higgs boson, and thereby having to admit that there is an all-pervading field that connects all things. I mentioned it last time in order to be able to speak about the ether or the void, but in no way am I giving props to particle physicists. I read a lot and I listen a lot, and I heard recently a physicist describe the Big Bang Theory as being on par with flat Earth. I don't not agree with him, but at the same time, I think there is an aspect of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So I would like to explain my thinking around that a little bit. Now, I know there are some proponents in my audience of the electric universe theory, and I'm not not down with it. Really what it says is that everything is frequency, and that's accurate. 
but I don't think that it completely discounts what the mainstream what mainstream science has identified as the Big Bang. Just like quantum mechanics was able to retroactively predict the entire periodic table, so can you use frequency math to build the table. This is searchable on the internet and it definitely relates to the electric universe. On a quick side note, I was listening to the Brothers of the Serpent podcast, which you should all check out if you don't already. There's one of the things, uh, one of the things that delays my episodes, you guys, is that I'm constantly taking in more information, and I'm like, I gotta slide that in somehow. Not in this case, but I'm constantly taking in more information that fills gaps that perhaps make it easier. Uh, to understand what I'm saying. But uh, also on that note, uh, people may hear the gaps and find reasons to disagree. And if you disagree, make a comment. And uh, if you use Apple, um, give me a rating and a comment on iTunes so this shit doesn't disappear off of iTunes, okay? Please, let's hear it, y'all. Give me five stars and make a comment. Um, I, myself, sometimes am listening to something and I'm like, nope, um, and I stop listening. But I do also listen to people that I wholeheartedly disagree with so I can understand their arguments and refute them. Sometimes there are certain things that aren't worth refuting because they're absolutely fucking ridiculous. But I tend to want to refute what I recognize as part of the big lie, which is, in large part, um, the what this podcast is structured around is um, refuting the big lie. So anyway, the Brothers of the Serpent, it's kind of a joke of theirs that uh, they get a lot of correspondence from people wanting to talk about Electric Universe. <laughs> and one of the dudes said that he was more into the Plasma Universe theory. And I just had, wanted to make a quick comment on that because you can create plasma with electricity. So do we have to talk about that anymore? Anyway, I'm going to talk about the Big Bang a little bit more. So particle physicists at CERN who discovered, and I kind of have to put that in quotes because perhaps a lot of what these particle physicists do is find gaps in their math and be like, oh, there must be a particle that we can find that would make our equations work. And I kind of have a feeling that's what they did with the Higgs. So as I was saying in previous podcasts, that mainstream mainstream scientists don't like the idea of the background or the ether or the interconnectedness of all things because it can't be measured. But they can't ignore that uh, at the same time, quantum mechanics says that entanglement is part of reality. So they have to at least acknowledge it. The Higgs particle allows them to acknowledge it and then ignore the larger um, issues behind the idea of the interconnectedness of all things. And the hubris of them naming it or dubbing it the God particle is just beyond. So, but the reason I mentioned it last time is to give a form of credence to the idea of the unfathomable void, the background, or the ether. Um, Because CERN kind of did it by uh, so-called finding the Higgs. Now, 
Moving on to why I think the Big Bang is still a thing despite strong arguments against it. The standard model of cosmology says that consciousness is the result of the unfolding of the universe, meaning that it comes after the development of all the elements and structures inside of it in this interpretation. This idea is at odds with the observer effect illustrated by quantum mechanics, which suggests that objective reality is an impossibility, that our consciousness is not separate from the stuff we are looking at. Mainstream science has perceived the causal chain of events that culminates in the universe as independent of mind or the mind or consciousness. The standard model cosmology asserts that mind or consciousness is the result of those events, that it arises out of them. But we know from quantum mechanics that mind is interdependent with the unfolding of reality. So how, under this interpretation, can we account for this interdependence considering all of the events that preceded the so-called eventual development of consciousness. We cannot account for it under this interpretation. We cannot. How is it that consciousness or mind suddenly has an effect on physical reality after it emerges, but not before? Relegation of consciousness to the level of a cosmic accident is a classical mechanics approach and assumes the separateness of all things. The observer effect contradicts that idea, and we can do all kinds of workarounds and mental gymnastics in order to allow ourselves to ignore this, such as in the case of the Higgs boson, or we can take the leap, the quantum leap, as it were, that consciousness is the precursor, that mind is the predecessor to all things. In fact, this is how the ancients viewed it, Hermeticism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. When we look at what we perceive as the physical universe, what we perceive as solid and separate, when we look deeper, when we go down to the smallest of scales, we find that there is really nothing there. The vast spaces between these tiny objects is unimaginable. These tiny objects are not even objects. They are little packets of waves. In fact, that is what they're called in quantum mechanics, wave packets. What we perceive as the physical universe is a pattern that is described by frequency, by vibration within the background. This pattern that we call the universe is observably self-repeating at all scales. It demonstrates a repeating pattern, a fractal. This cannot be denied. With, within this pattern, we have countless instances of a beginning of something. The universe being a hollow fractal self-repeating pattern exhibits things that have a start. It stands to reason that this pattern, the macro pattern, also had a beginning. What we observe as the physical must also have had a germination or perhaps a fertilization. This pattern emerges within the background. Inside each of our minds, inside our skulls, is absolute darkness. But when we have an idea, that shit lights up. I am not religious per se, but the universe as being made of mind is comprehensible to me. The universe is made of mind stuff. The ether, or the mind of God, if you will, may defy any conception of time may be eternal, but
but the pattern that we perceive as all things seems to have had a beginning. While the background may be eternal, the pattern that is set into it expanded from within it at a moment of creation. From that point forward, it has been autopoetic, operating on and from the original relationships. Those relationships are the laws of nature. Cosmic law, natural law. The observation of the patterns of expansion and contraction of the physical universe reveal a self-repeating structure. This can be seen in the recurrence of certain mathematical ratios at every scale. Does this make sense to you, right? Does that help? Does that help? <laughs> so what I was getting at last time in that man attempts at creating his own laws and to control the cycles of nature will always result in a catastrophic rebalancing. However, operation in accordance with the original relationships with natural law will allow for an evolution into a higher state of being. I hope this clarifies things. <laughs> so um, I'm having trouble, you know, my part, my despondency is that I'm having trouble um, getting this idea across that I'm trying to present and which is basically um, that the big lie is that competition um, has a larger effect on the evolution of society than cooperation and I would suggest that it that is an inversion so I want to direct you guys to a podcast called The Portal with Eric Weinstein. I have mentioned him previously in reference to uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. He has been on that show a couple of times, and I like the interviews, and I like him. But he's promoting that narrative, that despite all of his good work and his intellect, this narrative um, is the big lie that I spoke of. This lie is very insidious and deeply rooted into all of our thinking. The reason I want you guys to listen to this particular episode of The Portal is because he has a very good guest. His name is Daniel Schmottenberger. He thinks just like I do, has the same outlook as, outlook as I do, but he's better educated than me, smarter than me, has a better vocabulary than me, and is more articulate than me. He lays it out, and he absolutely slays Eric in this discussion, although Eric would disagree, and all of his cohorts at the intellectual dark web would probably also disagree, because all these fuckers are promoting the lie. In episode 27 of The Portal, um, this is the one I'm talking about, episode 27 of The Portal, if you want to understand what I'm getting at and hear it from a guy who is absolutely brilliant, then listen to the episode. And I said before I wanted to hear more of Eric, and I finally, you know, looked up his podcast, but I realized I can't listen to him. I mean, even in this episode 27, he says he can't believe he hasn't been deplatformed on YouTube. And I'm like, 
you're not even close to radical, bro. Of course they're going to keep you on there. <laughs> I mean, for him to think that he's radical enough to be taken off is laughable, really. Anyway, I periodically look through his episode list to see if he has any good guests. And for this one, in the first five minutes, I was uh, really excited and also surprised. Um, Eric Weinstein uh, is of the notion and entranced and entrenched in a certain way of thinking that he is loath to give up. The, per the perpetuation of this big lie, it could be one of our biggest problems. And to have, su have someone of such high intellect stubbornly hanging on to it is a curious thing to me. Um, but everyone thinks this way, so it's kind of a hard road in. So listen, please. Um, I've spoken about it before when critiquing Joe Rogan, and it's the idea that comes down to competition versus cooperation. And what is the true nature of the human being? So Eric, even though he got crushed in this discussion, is hanging on real tight. So I want you guys to listen so you can comprehend what I'm coming at, and perhaps it will allow you to hear what I'm saying a little better. I will put the link uh, for the Portal YouTube episode um, in the show notes so you guys can go right there and listen. I even commented on <laughs> the YouTube page of the Portal, so maybe you'll be able to scroll down and see what I said. Or maybe not, maybe you deleted it. Anyway, uh, you can see the fear in Eric's eyes when Daniel starts to speak, because, my God, this guy uses words like Ip Man uses Kung Fu. So go ahead and give it a listen. Pay close attention to everything he says, I mean Daniel. And also notice Eric's reactions, right? It's important to see that he is being... Um, Fucking idiot, for lack of a better word. Um, so, anyway, I would uh, I would suggest that you actually uh, listen to it before you continue with this podcast, so that you can take in what I'm saying a little bit better. Okay, now getting to my idea, what I've been talking about what it is that can bring us all together. And we already have it, you know, it's already right here in our face, but we're operating out of balance. So this thing that brings us together, that allows us to create, to co-create, and still advance in our development and not arrest our development. Um, I found out it's been hard. I found out this concept is kind of alien to people, despite it being in our faces, especially now. And that's what's kind of thrown me off so much about what's happening in the world. So I want to get into it more because obviously people aren't aware of it. Uh, they're blind to it. And so I need to go deep and say the same thing over and over, really, you guys. So forgive me. Um, in this next section, if you hear things that sound the same, said in a different way, or perhaps slightly different, it's because I kind of got to smash it in, right? So it sticks. All right, here it goes. So I wrote this. This is an essay. 
that I wrote, and I've kind of taken the conclusion out and put it in the first six episodes of the podcast. So this is everything I was thinking up to the point when I started recording. So I'm going to go through it quickly. I might reread a few sentences, but I'm going to read it fast because it's kind of long. And um, I, I think I might put the transcript or the actual text for people to read, maybe, uh, maybe next time. The following is an argument for the inclusion of everyone in the design of our future. Though it's not required for the comprehension of the argument, it would help the reader if they first read the book Understanding Media, The Extensions of Man by Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan proposes that all of the technology man has produced to date can be thought of as a medium. Media that does not contain a message or content as if a vessel, but is the message itself. The vessel is the message. With an examination of the function of technology from its origin, it becomes apparent that it extends the functions and faculties of the body and its senses. This suggests that all technology, by extending the body, expands the body in its functional capacity. This creates an attraction for people, a value attraction. In the following, it will be demonstrated that value in the form of the artificial is media, as McLuhan names it, and ultimately and simply represents information concentrated, stored, and transferred between people. Though not apparent in its early stages, technology or media has become manifest in our current times as pure information. The purpose of this essay is to present a way for us to manage the value presented to us by this eventuality and by comprehending its effects. McLuhan's primary instruction in his book, The Medium, is that the medium is the message. The, the effect of a medium or technology has on the way humans respond to each other while operating within society and the world is the message of the medium. Any technology can be referred to as a medium. This author, me, proposes that the perceived value of the original technology attracted people and initiated the interaction and information exchange that is human society. And in addition, this material and information exchange surrounding the types of technology creates the new conditions and thus the potential for the creation of more new through iterative information feedback from all members of society. The ways valuable information is exchanged forms the core of all human interactions. As McLuhan says, for the message of any medium or technology is the change of scale or pace or pattern that it introduces into human affairs. McLuhan wrote Understanding Media in 64, his analysis of the history of specifically Western civilization, but all civilization really, really with regards to the effects of the, em the effects emanating from the advent of new technology is correct. He explains that the message of our technology, or as he calls it, our media, contains warnings of the consequences, which is that the alteration a radically new technology imposes on society also alters human perceptions and 
the fact that this always comes as a great surprise is an astonishingly delayed reaction that can have a devastating effect. It can be referred to as learning the hard way. McLuhan, though labeled by some as anti-technology, was not. He was simply for being aware of technology's effects and so become ready for them. His great question was simply, why do we have to learn the hard way every time a radical new technology is introduced? This is the objective of this piece. This is my objective. <laughs> to reiterate and perhaps decipher McLuhan's analysis and offer a solution based on that understanding. Because we have arrived at the ultimate final stage of this phase of development of a technological species. Either we transition to the next stage or or we either become static or trapped, or we perish altogether. There are steps we can take so that we may fly into the new paradigm instead of fall. Premises. Products and product systems are the foundation of civilization. Processes remain in a support role for products. For the purposes of this argument, we will assume that the processes, such as those to create materials suitable for product manufacture and fabrication, are dictated by consumption of the final product. Products and product systems provide the necessary pressure that inflates the bubble of our economy. Introductions of new products are directly related to the growth of the economy as a whole. This is readily observable. However, the difference between incremental innovation or improvements to existing products and truly new products is the effect they have on the mind of the people. Totally new products are the result of radical innovation. Radical innovation cannot come from efforts to improve existing technology. They occur, they occur as creations of individuals and or groups and are intended as a replacement to existing technology. Radical innovations create wholly new sources of value. As a result, radical innovation has the effect of creating economic booms, altering the structure and functioning of society. Incremental innovation follows the rate of growth of productivity in general, and is continuous. Radical innovation appears periodically separated by periods of time. The history of radical innovation and the intervening periods contains the information necessary to effectively gauge their effects on people. Understanding the effects of radical innovation makes visible a possible solution to many of the issues we face on Earth today. Where does it all begin? The origin of technology is the beginning. The first iteration of human industry offers a glimpse at the key features of organized human interaction. Most of our technology has appeared in the last several hundred years. This is a negligible amount of time when considering how long we have been on this planet, but technology has played a primary role in our evolution and the evolution of society since its introduction. The radical innovation of stone tool technology appears in the fossil record over two million years ago or more. There's some contentious evidence, right? And I will say that um, it probably goes back way longer. The value injection of stone tools improved survival probability and altered the conditions that individuals operated in, therefore beginning a new set of qualities being selected for. The 
long-term effects of the creation and improvement of technology over generations selected for new traits in individuals. It does not take much to realize that these new traits were improved ability to manage, store, and share information. Capacity for speech was catalyzed under these conditions. Radical innovation changes the rate at which resources are extracted and distributed. A sustained cooperative effort in support of that new technology forms the environment for physiological and psychological changes to occur. Radical innovation and incremental innovation, as described in the long cycle of economic theory, are mechanisms acting within society. Incremental innovation is the pathway leading to each radical jump in technological innovation. Incremental information innovation refines the accepted technology to a point where it has become all that it can be and so therefore must be replaced. This adjustment to the sources of value adjusts the social landscape. In any study of the timeline of hist- any study of the timeline of history highlights the fact that when new tools are introduced, it leads to new rules for the operation of society. The teaching of toolmaking can be directly linked to brain growth in the frontal lobe area. The teaching of toolmaking can be directly linked to brain growth in the frontal lobe area, the communication center of the brain. There can be no real challenge to the notion that technology and human communication have evolved together. Early technology altered the environment in which our progenitor ancestry existed. Communication and organization became important to survival. The presence of products, items of value, inside the environment of society creates the conditions for the continual feedback iterative process of knowledge collection. The first occurrence of technology created an attractor that altered the constraints and the territory occupied by our ancestry. Tool production required cooperation, planning, and communication. The timeline for the appearance of speech in the list of human faculties is debated, however, any serious intent To arrive at the truth of the matter considers that cooperation in the production of tools would lead to situations where communication was paramount to success. This becomes clear when one considers that locations of material and methods of material manipulation must be symbolized between members of the group in order to coordinate activities. This cannot be denied. Technology creates a value attractor around around which organization occurs. Without these sources of artificial value, what we know as society and civilization today would never have come to pass. As technology changes, so changes the societal environment. Upon this realization, the declaration that products made by humans are the premier influence over the form that society takes can be made. Complementarily, individuals determine the form that product takes. This implies that each defines the other in the classic dual relationship of object-subject, further implying that technology and people are two parts of the same whole. In this way, It can be said that the evolution of human communication can has been a natural progression because people being attracted to what is valuable to them will do things in order to preserve that value and speech was the thing that allowed for organization. The value created by technology incentivizes cooperation facilitated by communication. Over time, new methods and tools were introduced and new sources of value have altered the structure of society. Every massive adoption of a truly new technology has resulted in an event. These events have been occurring over thousands of generations as humans use the contents of their surroundings to their benefit. So also 
will they turn to use the use of other people, what can be called the human use of human beings. The sharing of information having become a tool is also subject to change, what can be called the evolution of storytelling. Let that sink in. The sharing of information having become a tool, a technology, is also subject to change and can be called the evolution of storytelling. These events that are characterized by innovation cut a deep mark on the timeline that denotes a clear before and after, showing a contrasting shift in social paradigm. This shift in paradigm can also be described as an alteration to the worldview by which there is a change in the stories that we tell each other. Currently, it is readily observable that we are living through one of these transitions, but there is a curious aspect to this. In the modern era, society having gone through many upheavals coinciding with the introduction of new technology has been artificially preserved in an archaic hierarchy despite the pressures to evolve implied by innovations such as the internet. The radical innovation of the internet places all groups, all markets in the same place. The message of this technology in the terms of it as a medium is obvious because now, perhaps now, so cliche as to become trite. Regardless, the culmination effect is to have made the world smaller and to diminish boundaries. Marketing, the science of storytelling, the technological employment of storytelling, tailors a message to an identifiable audience. The internet dissolves the distinctions between those audiences, those markets. In addition, the internet allows for sources of value to come from anywhere within the network. It is clear how these two features disrupt the established structures, disrupt the established structures of society by blurring the lines between identifiable markets. The technology of storytelling or marketing is currently not in alignment with the path technology is presenting to us. Technology is offering a path to a solution to the problems we face as humans, but we are telling each other the old stories. Proper allocation, operation, and distribution of the sources of value can be achieved if we abandon those old stories. Inferences. As we look at the timeline and note the key changes, we can label the stages of human development. The evidence that these stages took place is undeniable regardless of which version of history you subscribe to. So no matter if you go uh, standard model or alien intervention or um, younger Dryas or all of that, this all still works so don't stop listening if you hear something that you think sounds like standard model or if you hear something that you think sounds fucking like rubbish because this is working the what i am describing works people are attracted to value okay so hang on the hunter-gatherer stage represents the longest mode of existence and the most influenced by the environment most influenced by the environment. Next was the transition society in which people were in the midst of a phase change between nomadic and sedentary lifestyles. After that, there was the agrarian phase. This was full conversion for the most part to a farming lifestyle. Finally, there is modern society where we compartmentalize the natural sciences and leverage scientific knowledge in the development of technology. In every phase were the seeds sown for the next one via human innovation. Each phase followed a similar pattern only with successively higher technological diversity and taking less time to complete. 
technology and products are the key in our key are the key in the stages of human development. The value of products, tools, technology are more are more important are more and more importantly the value of innovation as a driver of development is easily observable when considering it in the simplest terms which is human survival in the stone age so that's why i'm looking back because it reduces down all of the complexities right and it just shows what we are attracted to originally thinking of product development in the stone age invokes a mental picture this is the thought experiment of the people that make the products. Large investitures of time, energy, and resources were spent in gathering and processing food. The use of tools meant more food for less effort, and the comparative difference to the alternative created the foundation of technological value. So we're just talking about if you have something that works better, it's obviously in comparison to what you were doing before. Value is rooted in biological necessity the ground zero for the origins of technological production. Considering this, it becomes clear that the ind individuals who witnessed the demonstrated value of tools would have been very interested in using them. Every individual exposed to tools would have also been exposed to the information on the methods of production. This initial exposure to multiple individual minds began the influx of new information from inside the network, sowing the seeds of innovation and beginning the iterative process of development of society and humanity. The introduction of new of the new injects new information into the workings of human culture. With new information comes the possibility of innovation and thus paving the way for product diversity. Over time, the number of roles for a person to fill in human society has increased at a rate that is proportional to the increase in the number of products that humans produce. As a result of this, modern society is characterized by high specialization. We have reached the point in our development of technology and in our own physical development, psychological development, in which the value of specialization within society is lessening and there is a potential for individuals to return to a more general approach. This is because automation and artificial intelligence can begin to fill the specialized niches or roles. Despite this, and perhaps also because of this, full participation in the design of our future is becoming available to all members of society. Ideally, this means that individuals can use technology as a tool and augment their skill set and allow for high levels of competency in multiple streams of technical knowledge. This will free people to transform into generalists. With these tools in their belt, they can set out across the digital savanna like the hunter-gatherers of old. The difference being that they are hunting information and creating new stories and new value to share. With the new methods, new design, and original deep understanding of our relationship with technology and products and universal inclusion, we can adjust our path as humans and evolve into the next phase of human existence. Products. A product is anything produced by humans, whether by hand or mechanically. A product is an artificially made object that has a function or a purpose. Currently, currently we tend to refer to technology solely as modern devices built using scientific knowledge, but technology is anything that we make using our understanding of the natural world and its contents. 
However, computers, cell phones, and the gamut of information processors and storage devices that connected make up the internet are simultaneously the products required in navigating the information landscape that is also the internet. These tools are the hardware, the infrastructure, and are undergoing rapid incremental improvement and development in response to the software required to operate them. The value of such tools is being misappropriated with improper implementation of software. Keep this declaration in mind for later. Systems. S consider again the origin of the artificial. After the initial creation of stone tools, over a long period of time, we developed a system of production of stone tools. Material location, bone and stone hammers, striking technique and important adaptations relevant to functionality. Through the process of continual continuous production, the necessity for information sharing makes the development of systems of production and uses inevitable. Toolmaking added interdependent variables to the environment and presented new scenarios to the participants over time. One scenario is the eventual requirement of tools needing to be carried. In response to this new scenario, new products were developed for tool transport, giving birth to product systems. Products made to function in conjunction with each other. This eventuality, of course, allowed for undiscovered country to be opened up for humans to slowly penetrate. Undiscovered country serves a dual meaning here. On the one hand, we have it as the undiscovered country for the minds of individuals to explore and that of an increased range of travel. One very important impact of technology, a direct consequence of it, was the transformation and inflation of the structure of human networks. Product system. Everything we did as a group after we started making tools was related and informed by the production of these tools. The pioneering of new techniques by individual minds led to the demonstration of value to others. It is easy to imagine the sources of the new methods and information becoming important nodes in the network that make up a toolmaking society. Individuals in a position of knowledge become sought-after nodes in the network. If, indiv if individuals represent the nodes in the network, then the links between those nodes are the lines of communication. It is easy to see that these links created between individuals would have been maintained through a symbolic language. The symbolic sounds we know as speech was the method for efficient transfer of information and was the conduit between the nodes and the network, between people. Everyone with knowledge gained through speech would then have the information isolated within themselves, creating the possibility of editing that information. This editing becomes the individual response to the information and must have been the way new information arrived in the network. Speech drove the process forward towards new products and new product systems. The way in which we respond to each other changes the structure and strength of our bonds to one another. The advancement of communication and the development of storytelling became the way in which we respond to each other. The stories we tell are altered over time by the advancement of our technology. We are individuals, part of a family, a method, a process, a village, a town, a city, a state, a race. We are part of the human experience. And all the while we progress hand in hand with our tools, parallel, we spiral upward, spiral upward. There is a crucial intersection before us that we must avoid. If you can see what I'm talking about as a spiral, human development is one and technology is the other. You can visualize the crossing of those two 
streams. This would signify an endpoint. Our link to technology is only as a stairway that we construct ourselves to propagate through history. Like Maxwell's interpretation of the propagation of light through the vacuum, the electric is encouraged by the magnetic and vice versa. The lights would go out if this were not so. And hold your horses, y'all. I know Maxwell's equations were clipped, okay? So don't get all excited. The sudden end to human development would result from the literal merging of the biological with the artificial, crossing the line to transhumanism. The continued evolution of humanity will require remaining parallel with the stream of technology and not merging with it. Doing this would be to continue what we have done. So staying parallel is continuing what we have done, using technology as a ladder for upward transition. Each step up on the ladder bringing with it new information to interpret the environment, a new structure upon which to gauge decision making. The alternative is to give up our sovereignty of mind and body to external control and cease to be human. This is the arrested development that I speak of. We are irrevocably linked to our technology, but we are not our technology. To bind the evolution of our bodies to it would be an end to the isolated individual editing of information. It would end our sovereign minds. Successive catastrophic iterations of technological innovation places people closer together, but not as one being, not as one bind, one mind. Whoa. The technology for the next step in our evolution is here, but the story we are being told about it is a lie. Super system. We stand in a position very similar to the ones our ancestors were in when they first started making product systems. The difference is that we are generally in a more precarious position. They had created new problems, specifically one very important problem. Product systems tended towards increasing their mobility and increased their contact with disparate groups. The problem was coming across groups of other people. A product system consists of multiple products and materials used in conjunction to perform one or more vital functions. The carrying of technology was an elemental, was elemental in higher instances of interaction and information exchange with disparate groups, right? So carrying our tools with us, not just in our hands. The development of product systems delocalize sources of value by empowering individuals to expand their area of geographical operation. This expanded the potential for the sharing of technology. The influx of new information from new and varied sources steepened the curve of innovation, steepened the curve of the rate of change of innovation. An interesting characteristic of human beings is that everyone has a unique and separate mind from the group. Considering this, it becomes evident that the isolation of information inside the minds of individuals allows for the modification of that information. Knowledge taken by an individual through an exposure to, exposure to the novel creates an isolated environment in which that new information may undergo refinement and then may be shared with others. Without the isolation of information inside the mind of the individual, innovation would be rare. If the societal collective consisted only of a single mind, there would be just one mental laboratory available instead of many. The idea that general that the idea that general unavailability of the thoughts of individuals to the collective promotes innovation 
is supported by the incentive that exists in being valued to others. Survival with technology once began provided the expanding mechanism for the increased rate of new information introduction through reinforcement of human bonds by inclusion, creativity, and information exchange. The pleasurable feeling or the emotive experience of being accepted by others is induced by the act of sharing information, also known as ame in Japanese culture. This feeling is invoked from being included and accepted by the group. This act of inclusion is an emotive experience and emanates from the cognitive area of the brain or the frontal lobe. Okay? Right? All other emotions are in the mammalian brain, in the deep brain. This is the emotion that comes from our communication center. There is a biological incentive in collectivizing valuable, valuable information. This provides evidence that there was an evolutionary reinforcement of cooperation and that it promoted the growth of the human frontal lobe. This supports the case for the cooperation as a more impactful evolutionary characteristic than competition. It is more beneficial to our development and continued existence to cooperate than compete. The benefits of sharing and expansion of human knowledge prompts people in their decision-making, which selects for sharing. This effect is compounded by the growth of human networks. The collective or the group mind acted as a repository for combined knowledge. The expansion of the human network increased the speed at which individual processing occurred. More people meant more processing power more eventual input, and subsequently a higher rate of output. The development of product systems married us to our tools and started the primary mechanism for cultural and psychological evolution henceforth. The power to share was then and still is the driving force behind all innovation and the increased feedback response from individuals. The sharing of information implies an infrastructure to support it. The Stone Age network was accessed through the ability to range over large geographical areas. The, mo the mobility improved and increased the number of links in the human network and increased the total amount of information held by the group mind or the human network. When human beings create something of value for the first time, it sparked the perpetually ongoing process of content sharing that drives social bonding through cooperation and storytelling. The information surrounding tools, technology, and, the and their manufacture drove the rate of expansion of human networks and can be directly correlated to modern ideas of economic growth, i.e., as more people began cooperating, more resources became available. Technology creates value wells that are attractive to people. The measure of the quality of a product is equitable to its value. A product's value is a measure of its usefulness relative to the alternative. As much as technology provides value to the individual user, it makes more likely the successful operation of the cooperative group by raising the value of cooperation. The value of working together becomes easily discernible relative to the alternative of going it alone. Technology presents a clear choice for the individual. Technology creates pressure for groups to coalesce by motivating individuals to join in, to fashion their own responses or approaches to problems, to create value to the group and thereby increase their own value. The isolation of information inside individual minds and then the communication of that modified information is the key to demonstrating value to others. The tendency for people to have something worth sharing 
to have something to offer to fill an essential role. The human being, having discerned value of tools originally, has a built-in alertness to similar opportunities within the environment of society. The more people exposed to certain technology, the more chances that novel admixture from individuals will affect change in technology. Over time, our technology in hand with society has become more complex with each iteration, becoming a super system. Like the speciation of flora and fauna, there are worlds within worlds of technology. This creates new roles to fill, new niches in the societal ecosystem to occupy. Over millennia, the quality, the quantity of types of products and families of products has increased. This is observable simply by noting the transition transitions to new ways of living, such as the transition of a nomadic lifestyle to a sedentary agrarian lifestyle. Separate specialization of roles after farming began is obvious and need not be explained in detail. However, it can be quickly confirmed by seeing farming as a special job that not everyone engaged in. Sedentary life meant that people began to coalesce into larger groups, in which the division of labor was more pronounced than in previous times. Similarly, and much later in time, the mechanization of production marked a transition to higher levels of specialization. I say this just to make this point about how the more stuff we make, the more jobs there are. Mechanization was radical, was a radical change in the way that products were produced. The assembly line sequenced the production of processes, and the effect this had on society was the increased compartmentalization of job function and roles. Society began to resemble a factory, and each role was a specialized sequential step that was repeated, just as the steps required for mechanized production were performed sequentially ad infinitum. The pressure on individuals to provide value through the performance of specialized role in the maintenance of the current methods of production is high in modern society. This structure of society is optimized for the passage of information through hierarchical nodes and channels of the network. The tendency under the structure of society is that it be maintained and enforced in order to ensure the continued control over the sources of value. Value, which we have established as being technology or simply products or ultimately just various mediums, such as McLuhan professes, that inform the way in which we respond to each other. Storytelling or marketing is the method by which the status quo is maintained as the newest radical innovation has emerged from the era of the Industrial Revolution. So, storytelling or marketing maintains the previous status quo as new shit is introduced that um, changes the way we think. This is what's happening right now. We are thinking like industrialists, you guys. All this separation and atomization, I mean, come on, come on. This is the information revolution. In the extreme past, the source of innovation could come from any node in the network. And because of this, the rate of innovation was exponential. In modern society, innovation is almost entirely provided by highly trained specialists that occupy centralized power nodes in the network. Everyone else serves as a means of conveyance and consumption of the dominant stories being told that, right? Everyone else serves, serves as a means of conveyance and consumption of the dominant narrative. In the Stone Age, 
<coughs> individual participation in the improvement to the methods of production drove the enhancement of human communication and gave shape to the structure of human networks. Similarly, the organization required for mechanization of production has led to the development of the current structure of modern society with ever more efficient methods of information transfer and processing. It becomes clear that value is and was only ever about information, and if we are all to, to progress to a higher state of being, we must begin to tell the proper stories. I'm almost done here. Uh, I'm not going to go to the final because there's a part three to this. So this next section is called Radical Departure, but it's not so radical. The time gap between the introductions of radical technological innovation by all appearances is getting shorter, much the way sound waves become visible and stack up on each other just before a jet goes supersonic. The waves of technological innovation are bunching up at the boundary of sub and super. Society and humanity is literally on the verge of evolution into a higher order. It is important here to note that the purpose of this essay is to advocate the proper use of technology by understanding its effects. Higher, higher order refers not to transhumanism, but to the evolution of consciousness. Transhumanism, or the merging of humans and machines, will freeze us in our current position. People are already merged with technology, but the analogy is that of technology as a ladder. We grabbed the first rung when we struck stone with intent. We have, be, we have been ascending up the ladder in our evolution as a species and society ever since. If we were to merge ourselves with the ladder now, then how would we continue to climb? The approach that is outlined here is to use machines, our tools, but not to allow them to choose for us. Transhumanism is the inverse of that, which is to give the machines control over, over our decisions. And can you see that happening now? Can you? As we queue up at this proverbial precipice of transformation, as in the past, people are unaware of the most important effects of technology. People are under-informed and distracted in a trance by the wrong stories. The threshold of change that we now straddle as a species is different this time. On this occasion, the world's inhabitants can choose to continue to evolve as we have done since the beginning. If not, if we choose to give up our sovereignty as individuals, the consequences are likely to be the forfeiture of our humanity. We can go beyond this critical threshold, but we have to choose it. Because human beings are finite, we are subject to the natural orientation and scale of our surroundings, which happens to be the Earth. Regions created by the crust of the planet define habitable areas that are distinct from other in others in numerous ways, including the most obvious, which is location. The Earth, and where people live upon its surface, is are determined by its amenable physical features, its value. Some areas are more valuable, more supportive to human habitation than others. It may seem an obvious statement. However, this variation is the foundation for the human ability of discernment. These areas attract people by the value that they provide, the sustenance 
for our physical bodies. The hunter-gatherer life implies a need for critical view of the surroundings and location of gatherable food. Just as the physical landscape provides attractors that people perceive as humanity insulated itself from the perils of nature, the social landscape provided the location of value and opportunity. New technology creates a shift in societal attention, which ripples, which ripples throughout the network as change in orientation. Attractors in society are sources of value or perceived value. Perceived value, right? That's what marketing does. Not actual value, perceived value. Beyond the initial and basic tendency for primates to group together for mutual protection, the introduction of technology initiated the iterative process that has made it mutually beneficial for people to congregate for reasons other than safety in numbers. The original attraction and sub subsequent organization of people around the value of technology hardwired an awareness of value within the biology of human beings, a perception of what is good. Technology and the mechanism of technological innovation impacts the flow of information within the organization. Information becomes the new landscape in which people perceive value, in which people perceive, perceive what is good. The structure of human networks takes shape around value sources, forming up to provide, to provide the network on which energy and information flows. The recognition of value is derived from the necessities of being alive. The advancement of technology as an expression of group dynamics is characterized by cascading techno technological speciation. The interface of humans with the natural world promoted perception of value. Securing the elements necessary for survival would seem to motivate ways to reduce risk and expenditure of energy in that pursuit. Gathering food took more time than hunting was Gathering food took more time than hunting and was critically linked to memory of locations. It is likely that the first purposely modified tools were used for a gathering function prior to being adapted for hunting because of the relative time spent. With the amount of time spent in gathering versus other activities, it stands to reason that purposeful use of available materials had a high probability of occurring in the gathering context first. Not hunting, gathering. It makes sense then also that tools used for gathering presented a high potential for adaptation to hunting. The use of stone tools, stone weapons in hunting's, hunting makes the endeavor more efficient and less risky, but the first use of tools for meat production was likely an adaptation of tools used for gathering rather than the purposeful modification of tools to kill. It is likely that the effectiveness, the, effective, the effectiveness of tools to cut was demonstrated first in gathering and scavenger, scavenging. The point is, though, that artificially created tools are human made value which creates interest and activity within the group human technology is about the creation of value the buffering of individuals from the risks of the natural world is the result of cooperation in the production of technology within this buffer an internal exchange environment provide the means provides the means by which sustenance and material is distributed throughout unequal distribution of the sustenance or value extracted from the environment by means of cooperation is dysfunctional.
This, it's not communism. It's not socialism. This is what we fucking do, you guys. Let me read that again. Unequal distribution of the sustenance or value extracted from the environment by means of cooperation is dysfunctional. If we permit ourselves to watch the past elapse in our mind's eye, the rate of change of society or cooperative human existence progresses exponentially. Initially, exponential curves map a rate of change that is slow. It looks flat. However, innovation has the effect of creating catastrophic jumps in the graph of human progress. The invention of product systems, such as bags and clothing, are one event that had just such an effect. Product systems, as we have discussed, are the combined use of two or more products to create new value and new function. The rise of the first product systems can be identified as a period of rapid change in human culture and organization. The transition to product systems by humans occurred very rapidly in relation to the pre previous nearly static mode of human cultural change. This illustrates the pattern of a slow societal rate of change followed by an explosion of change surrounding the introduction of new technology. Included in these explosions of change is the alteration and expansion of roles filled by the members of human society. New skills were adopted, new complexities added, new stories told. The introduction of the radical new technology of agriculture was another such jump and involved a new set of skills which created new and varied roles to fill. Released from the rigors of wild food collection, people specialized in activities related to new, the new technology of farming. Members replaced an occupation of survival with an occupation within a larger organized society. Under these circumstances, the method of exchange was expanded. Sedentary farming culture expanded the mechanism for exchange within society, evolved the division of labor and the market. The market is the exchange. The new landscape or environment brought on by changes in technology transformed the members of society from generalists as hunter-gatherers to a divided population of various specialists and trade services. Trade implies exchange, and exchange requires a market. Technology leads to specialization, which leads to the evolution of the market. Because how else are we going to survive, right? The exchange is how we are connected. Do you get it? We can't survive without it. Despite the differences and increased complexity in society that occurred as time passed, the fundamental likeness to the attractiveness of value remains. The structure of society, the organizational framework, takes shape around sources of value, around technology. Technology forces the compartmentalization of specific tasks. Modern society is divided into separate occupations focused on different goals, yet still adherent to the collective objective. For all intents and purposes, it is as if individuals congregate to form the organs that make up the body of society. The maintenance of the body of society is sustained by the exchange of value, which is ultimately in the form of the flow of information. 
the Industrial Revolution changed the landscape of society in that the sources of technological value were minimized. The number and variety of production centers decreased and transitioned into manufacturing centers that served larger populations. The Industrial Revolution changed the pattern of human geography. People moved from the country into the cities to be available to work in the new centers of production, the factories. The body of society was reorganized around the locations of mechanized production. Before the Industrial Revolution, the number, variety, and location of the sources of value, right? We made things everywhere, in every community, before industrialization. Before the Industrial Revolution, the number, variety, and location of sources of value was more numerous, more diverse, and widespread. The Industrial Revolution radically relocated the sources of value, the means of production, to a select few locations. The direct relationship between products and viable employment for the members of society highlights the effect that mechanized production had on the structure of society. The level of complexity of the processes and the coming together of the disparate elements required to achieve effective manufacture of products meant a proliferation of worlds within worlds of information in which no one person could be an expert. Again, the relationship between the number of products and the variability of specialization with regards to human organization is directly proportional. Fundamentally, the acceleration of the rate of product diversification Increased specialization is due to the introduction of new information into the affairs of human beings. New products alters the way in which we exist in the world and society. New products change how people perceive their surroundings. For all intents and purposes, when we measure the effect of new technology on relations of people, we are measuring the effects of new information. The ongoing transition into the information age from the industrial age has been driven by the colossal Acceleration of the introduction of new information into the operation of society. In the past, the same pattern has been shown to exist, for example, with the invention of the printing press, demonstrating the scale and rapidity that has been ind indicative of industrialization. Being that new information is the result of new technology, it stands to reason that people would eventually arrive at a radical technological innovation that is all about information. This is the period of society that is current. we are currently experiencing, the information revolution. The rise of the computer-controlled mechanized labor was a natural consequence of the information ecosystems that sprouted up around mechanized production. Software-driven hardware assemblages, robots, have become and are becoming the new specialists. As a result, the directly proportional relationship between the number of jobs available in society and the number of products being produced has been broken. This trend, which only seems to be accelerating, disconnects people from the primary fuel for the engine of the economy, products, and reduces the number of niches available. Automation has begun to invalidate specialization. Considering that niches formerly filled by people are being filled by robots, it is a common assumption to perceive robots or automation as competition. But automation is simply a tool. Automation is an extension of our bodies and should, as should all of our tools, provide value to the group and not impact people negatively. The good news is that despite appearances, these eventualities can provide the method that can redistribute the sources of value inside the human network and relocalize production. Right? It seems like the enemy 
right? That we need UBI because of automation. UBI would just be another way to arrest our development, right? It's actually the way that we redistribute and relocalize production. Follow me. Are you with me? It has been made clear that the change to human society emanates from new value, new technology, new products. If we wish to make a positive change, technology is the key. Computers in all their incarnation enhance the user's ability to manage information and collaborate. The space created by computers is the new landscape in which human affairs takes place, the new market. Artificial intelligence and robot-controlled manufacturing is the technology that allows the means of production to be redistributed to the people. It is essential that if we are to change the course of human society, that the sources of value, the methods and means of production are available to all. To have the means of production be only in the hands of the few is at the root of the problem. We have arrived at a critical junction in the story of Earth. Our tools determine the shape that society takes, which is what all futurists have been saying, but we can reshape the body of society with purpose. Right? We can take shape. We can reshape it. We have to do it. Look in our history. Technology created the need for organized society and therefore deliberate changes in our tools and the way we use them precedes any changes to the structure of society. The value of our tools, the things that we make, is the nexus for change. This is where our focus should be if we are to create a positive change in our civilization. The internet has collapsed the world into a landscape of information. Automation has cast specialists adrift, but also increased their personal power. The path to a positive outcome is not complicated. We have come this far only by the offsetting effects of cooperation versus competition. There is a possibility of humanity writing itself. The return. So that's the next section, and I'll get to it next time. And I kind of already talked about it. Kind of gave away the whole deal already, but I hope this helps, and I hope that... Uh, you guys will listen to this and begin to get it, right? The big lie is that we are in competition with each other when the whole reason that we ever fucking came together in the first place was cooperation. All right. I get excited because, man, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I get passionate. I mean, just staying all calm like Schmattenberger is impossible for me because I look around and I'm just, I'm baffled. I'm baffled that people are so blind and that you can't use words, right? You say a word, you get put in a tribe, right? You get shut down. It's, it's unbelievable, man. I can't believe it. So I'm holding out hope that uh, the universe, right? Natural law will actually not allow this shit to happen. All right, stay informed, stay healthy, stay hydrated. Um, take a look at the website, make comments, go to the health section and click on the Clive DeCarl um, stuff that I put there because he has all the naturally de derived stuff that can keep you healthy, all right? None of this factory made shit or this artificially made stuff, right? 
and I also have a, a pathway to hemp there. Right? So take a look at it. Please leave a comment on iTunes. Please give me five stars because I want to keep doing this, even though um, it's tricky for me. So stay with me, y'all. Peace. Till next time.